Hello and welcome to Human Voices, a podcast exploring stories from artists and filmmakers creating socially aware and relevant art. I'm Sean Kaufman, and I'm your host of today's episode. Today, we are joined by Lauren Waters. Her award-winning documentary short, Restoring Neshke Iman, will have its regional premiere at the 2022 North Dakota Environmental Rights Film Festival. Since the 19th century, Native American children were sent to boarding schools designed to, quote, kill the Indian, save the man, destroying tribal languages, cultural values, practices, and traditions through assimilation. The abandoned school buildings have remained for over 40 years, riddled with toxins that have leached into the community. Restoring Neshke Iman follows environmentalist Damon Dunbar, who has a dream of restoring the land, preserving tribal history, and speaking truth to history. Well, it's great to have you with us today, Laura, and thank you so much for being a part of the North Dakota Environmental Rights Film Festival and for joining us today on Human Voices. It's a thrill to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you and I'm really excited to be involved in the festival this year. Your film, Restoring Neshke Iman, received the Best Documentary Short Award for the 2022 North Dakota Environmental Rights Film Festival. Congratulations on the recognition from the jury. Personally, I loved your film, so I'm thrilled that they provided this award to you. Thank you. Yeah, I was really excited um, when I got that notification the other morning, and it's it's really an honor. We are going to talk about your film for a bulk of this conversation because there's just so much to it. For an 11-minute film, I found it to be incredibly layered, and it touched on so many important subjects that uh, we've been exploring through both the Environmental Rights Film Festival as well as the Human Rights Film Festival. And I'm, I'm just really excited to bring this film to audiences here in North Dakota. But before we dive into that, I, I'd like to... Uh, explore your artistic background a little bit because you are an incredibly eclectic artist. So tell us a little bit about your work and what brought you to where you're at today. Yeah, it has been an interesting journey for me, for sure. But what I like about this industry is that there's no one way to get into it. And I started when I was um, in college and I my degree is in environmental studies, which goes along with why I like to tell environmental stories but I knew nothing about film and I was introduced to another filmmaker and my professor that I had at the time um, doing producing two short documentaries on environmental professionals. And so that really launched me into my work and showed me a lot of what this is about. Those were two student films. And then after I graduated, I moved on to Tulsa where I was hired um, for the OCO Voices of the Cherokee People. It's a documentary television show in Tulsa. And I also worked for the Cherokee Nation Film Office um, as a marketing coordinator, where we were a liaison between film productions and Native culture. And uh, just started the, it just really opened the door for me and met a lot of people and learned a lot about film that I had no idea about before. And I just wanted to continue telling stories about tribal environmental professionals and people that have such a strong connection with the environment and are doing really important work for their communities, but it's not always recognized that that's going on. Uh, So 
I actually met with Kansas State University, and they have a program that helps environmental professionals remediate land that has been used for a previous purpose before and needs to be, and it has, might have toxic elements in it or needs to be repurposed. And so they had known a Damon. So I will go into that a little bit more in a bit, but now I'm working on the show Reservation Dogs. It's a Hulu um, FX television show. I worked on season one in the production office. And then this season, I'm the background casting director, which is quite a jump and quite a job. So I'm hiring all the extras and background and it's been really great. And I'm really excited for the second season. Well, congratulations on the uh, the jump in your role there. I could say that you're in uh, North Dakota. There are a ton of fans of your show and your work. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Um, this production's really great to work on. I feel really honored to be here. My next question is, you went to school for environmental studies. You got connected to the film industry. How did that transition into you directing this film? Yeah, so my first two student films, I was just a producer on them. And I really didn't know what that meant. I really started with no knowledge going into it. And I just spent a lot of time with the people that we were doing these documentaries on and with and just interviewed them and really got to know them. And just, they became more than just what we were telling the story about for the film. I mean, we're friends now, really deeply care about them. And so whenever I knew that I wanted to do another one after college and after I had gotten some more skills under my belt and experience, and I had been introduced to Damon through Kansas State University. When we were in the very beginning stages of development of the story, I just knew that I was going to be the best person to be able to tell the story for Damon because I had spent a lot of time with him and getting to learn his story and spending time with Gordon as well. And I think that it was intimidating at first, uh, jumping from a producer to a director and doing that for the first time. But um, I know that it was a good decision for me to just to just shoot my shot and see what I could do because I knew the story in and out. And I know a lot of environmental things that a lot of people don't know generally. So that's kind of how I how I jumped into the director role. And thankfully, my executive producer, Laurel, who was my professor at University of Oklahoma and Kansas State University Tribal Tab was super excited about me taking that on and telling the story. So if it wasn't for their support, I wouldn't have been able to do it. For audiences who haven't had an opportunity to see the film yet, uh, maybe share a little bit about what the film is and what inspired you to tell the story. Yeah, so I um, this film is really about I wanted to focus on um, stories that are inspirational in nature. And it really inspires me that the subject of the film is kind of multifaceted. We, we followed Damon through his work of 20 years to remediate an old brownfield site, which is a site that needs to be repurposed. And it's an old boarding school, which has a lot of history behind it, not just an old building. So. For indigenous people, boarding schools can be a traumatic site that hold a lot of emotional power, positive or negative experiences were had there. And so there's a question of what do we do with this space now? Um, since it's closed, it closed in the 80s, the, the one in the film. 
And it's just sitting there and it has been uh, polluting the land uh, with both lead and asbestos and it's getting into the water and they don't want that to continue to happen. So Damon has been working on trying to remediate this site and working with the community to determine what is the best way to do that. And so the film follows him through his work. And then it also highlights the history behind boarding schools a bit because the viewer may not understand the impact that it has had on our culture and why this is so important that Damon do this work. So we talked with Gordon Yellowman and he's a, he's an amazing elder, Cheyenne Arapahoe elder who contributed a lot to this film. And um, it's, it's a success story, really. Um, Damon has put his life into this and dedicated his, his entire work and career into remediating the school and to be to meet him at this time where he's getting the funding to do what he's worked so hard for was so inspirational to me and extremely powerful. And we wanted to make this film to show some other professionals and people that you can, you, if you set your mind to something, you can get it accomplished. And um, I really just wanted to highlight a lot of the positives that can come out of a situation like that. The film title actually has some significance as well. For the audiences, what the what does what does the film title mean and, and why did you choose that title for this film? Yeah, so the film is titled Restoring Neshke Iman. And I actually worked with Gordon, who is the elder that we interviewed on the film, to come up with this name. And it means restoring grandmother earth. And that's exactly what's Damon, what Damon is doing. And I think a part of when I think about reciprocity with the land and what that means and how important it is to us indigenous people to have that connection to land, I think about the language and I think about how important it is to try to keep that going as much as we can. And so I wanted the title to be to have some Cheyenne in it or to be a Cheyenne language title in some way. So resiliency and reciprocity is a multi-layered concept when it comes to indigenous people. And, and this story proves that, especially, you know, when Damon talks about the buffalo, he talks about how they tried to kill the buffalo and they tried to, to kill off indigenous people through the boarding schools that we highlight in the film. But we've been resilient. And this story shows that. I have to say that I as a as an audience member, I absolutely fell in love with with Damon and his presence on the screen. How would you describe Damon in person as he approached this work? Damon is so humble. Uh, when we first started talking about doing the film, I remember him not wanting to really be involved in a way where he was the forward presenting person. He, you know, it's kind of like, why am I so important? Like what, like he understands that his work is important, but highlighting his story to him was, was hard to wrap his mind around, which I thought was just so admirable <laughs> because to me, I look at Damon and his work and I'm just like, wow, you're so incredible. The fact that you have done all of this and you put people in the right places to get the the work done. And he's been such a strong support system and has never given up no matter what. So, yeah, I mean, he was really excited to to work with us and, and get to know each other on a deeper level. I I just really admire him. And he was really excited to get the story out there. I uh, want to jump back to your comment uh, about your desire to tell inspirational stories, because as I was watching this, it impacted me in a way that I wasn't expecting when I started to watch it. Why is it important for you to tell inspirational stories 
and to capture these specific perspectives about these subjects? So when I was making this film and thinking through how I wanted to do it, I knew that I wanted to end it in an inspirational way because one of my goals in my work is to be able to inspire people in general, whether that's having, um, they look at Damon and they want to do the type of work that Damon does, or they look at the film and they want to be a filmmaker so that they can look at that and be inspired and think, oh, well, she did it, who I literally knew nothing <laughs> before doing it, before getting into film and, and doing something like this, then, then that's great as well. I think, you know, one of my, my audience is the community that we're telling the story for. So ultimately it's for Damon and Gordon and their, their community. And um, I, so I am a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the Kiowa tribe of Oklahoma. So although we are close and we, I have cousins that are Cheyenne and Arapaho, they're not necessarily my tribe or culture. So first and foremost, it's for them. Second, I think it would be for indigenous people um, to, to watch this and feel inspired in some way. And growing up, I never had that. I never had a role model that I could look up to or someone that was doing something that I inspired to be, and I never saw myself on television and in films. And I think that that has a huge impact on community and the way that you view yourself in the world. And so I really wanted to try and combat that and put us in a visible space, our stories as an inspirational pathway, rather than focusing on all the negatives that happen with indigenous people and communities. This is a topic that is discussed a lot in indigenous film that I didn't realize until after I completed the film that we stories are told about our communities often not by us. And so that's why it's important for us to be telling our own stories. And also we are often portrayed in a negative light or focusing on the bad things that happen in our communities. But we are so much more than the bad things. <laughs> We're so much more than that. We, we laugh, we are funny we work hard and get things done. And I really wanted to focus on that. Representation matters. Yes. Representation is really important and it has really revolved. My work has revolved around uh, making sure that indigenous people are represented in the film industry. You mentioned the, the content of the film, which is at its core about this boarding school that is deteriorating. And I thought it was an interesting connection for your film to highlight both the historical human trauma that has taken place and then also the trauma that is impacting the land that this school was on. As you were touring the building with Damon and shooting the footage of the, the building decomposing, essentially, how did that feel? What surprised you about the building itself? What kind of thoughts were you thinking as, as you were capturing this? Yeah, I think that I was, when I was walking through the school and when I saw it for the first time, I was shocked at how big the school was. <laughs> it's hard to explain until you see it in person, but it's, it's a huge, there's like 10 buildings there. So that was the part that shocked me because this is a huge project and it's going to be completed in many phases. And that was just phase one when, when I met Damon and started working with him. But since then we have found out that he did get phase two funded and they will be able to do phase two. Phase three will be the rest of the buildings and phase four will be when they're able to completely rebuild. 
So that's really exciting. I think that on a personal level, it's hard to be in that space where there has been so much um, history emotionally with that land and the, and the buildings, because you can just almost imagine when you're walking through like what went on or what, what were the kids were like or what they were doing there. Um, we would walk through the dorm rooms, the kitchen, they had like a big screening room, like a big uh, community hall and pool tables that were still there, which is bizarre. And so that is a, is a strange feeling. I don't want to say it's creepy necessarily, but it's definitely like makes you feel a longing for something. And, um, you know, so there were some community members in the beginning that wanted to preserve the school and wanted to save it. But as Damon talks about in the film, it was too far gone. It wasn't structurally sound. And I think that it's a part of their, it's a part of their history. So in that way, it just made you feel like, oh, one day this is going to not be here anymore. And that was a little hard to wrap your mind around. And um, personally as well, my grandparents were both attendees of different boarding schools, not the one in the film, but different ones. And um, we often talk about this in our communities, how that has impacted us more than we know. And I believe that intergenerational trauma is a real thing and that I still struggle with things because of something that my grandma and grandpa did in school. They weren't able to pass on their language to me, which is a bummer. And I have to do the work to learn it now on my own. So those types of things don't get passed on whenever, um, you know, they may have gone to boarding school. So your film did touch a little bit on both the negative effects of inter generational trauma, as you just articulated. It also looks at the the work that, again, Damon is doing to change in some way that trajectory by working with Chico Buffalo and teaching her to do the work that he's doing. And I, I love the comment in the, in the film uh, when he says, you know, uh, this will become her vision and she will lead as, as this goes, goes forward. Share a little bit more about that relationship between Damon and Chico. It was really cool to see them interact. And honestly, what I didn't realize when we asked Chico to meet us out there at the schools was that it was the first time that she had seen the schools since she was little. Like she had been, I think she had said one of her relatives lived across the street. And so as a kid, she would be there when the newer buildings were still in operation because they had reused them for as a post office and for something else. Um, so watching her walk through the school for the first time in several years, it was interesting because she was really looking at it, really taking it in. I could see her brain was working. And I was, I asked her, I said, did you, have you been here before? And she said, no, this is my first time. And I was just blown away because getting to see that expression on her face was um, really special um, because I knew that those memories, she explained some of her memories that she had when she was there. And so she had an emotional connection to it and to the work. And uh, Damon was training her to take over his role uh, whenever he was ready to step away. And she had shown interest and passion for it and getting to see that um, them interact in that day was really cool. Uh, Cause I know that he cares about truly cares about passing that knowledge on to her. And even though they might think differently and she might have a different perspective than him, 
he was like, it just gets better and better by generations. And I can just do everything I can within my power to give Chica what I know. And so that she has the tools to teach other people uh, what she's doing and how to do it better. So I think that is kind of the goal in my work as well is I want to be able to um, do these things that have never been done, um, even though I don't know how to do them <laughs> and tell stories that have never been told and then teach people how to do that too, who are looking to do that as much as I can teach them. Well, if this film is any indication, you are an incredibly talented filmmaker and, and you will inspire many people. This is a this is a wonderful, wonderful short. Thank you. Thank you. Our final question comes back to the idea of the importance of, of storytelling. There are so many stories that are told about indigenous communities. And they, as you said, aren't made by indigenous filmmakers. So in your opinion, what is it that we need to do as an industry, as a film festival, as people who support media arts to really increase that representation of native filmmakers around the country? I think that it would be providing them with opportunities that are tangible to them. I think that, so for example, my executive producer is amazing. Met her when I was in college and she's a non-native professor. And so historically a non-native professor that's interested in these kind of topics would go and tell the story themselves. But what she has done has, she has secured funding to give the story into the hands of an indigenous person like me to tell the story in conjunction with Damon and Gordon and the community there. And she really took a step back. And I really had a lot of creative freedom when I was doing this film, even though it was funded by institutions. And that was, that's not very common. And um, so I think just being able to put resources into the hands of filmmaker, indigenous people and filmmakers and trust that their stories and their voices are important and um, it can be hard to find those people at first. And with, you know, with the show Reservation Dogs, for example, Sterling Harjo is one of my good friends. And whenever he was casting the actors for the film, you know, he went out into community and found people because Hollywood historically hasn't had indigenous people represented. And so of course we wouldn't be able to find them there. So, Really, I think it'll take time for these stories to become more important and for Indigenous filmmakers' um, stories to be uh, recognized. But this is just the beginning. Thankfully, uh, we're making headway. And um, I want to be able to go out and, and teach other community members that are interested. And I think that whenever there is an opportunity for anyone that's non-Native to do so, um, that would be really important. And then letting them kind of take the reins after that, because we come from different tribes, different communities uh, and cultures all around. You know, there's like over 570 federally recognized tribes. And so we have our own way of doing things. Um, we're a little bit untraditional in, in the film sense. Um, we're less extractive, I would say. We take time to be careful and, and make the connections that are needed to make the story as authentic and um, true as possible coming from the person, which 
again, historically has been almost an extractive thing for documentary. And that's not what I want to do. And I think that that's important to highlight whenever people are working with indigenous people in film. If uh, audiences want to track your work and keep tabs on what you're creating, how can they follow you on the internet? Yes, I am on Instagram <laughs> at Lauren K. Waters, and it's the same thing on Twitter at Lauren K. Waters. I also have a website. It is laurenwaters.com. Don't, I don't update that as much, but I will plan to have the film on there once it is done in the festival circuit. That's where you can find me. And that actually, uh, I, I had intended to ask you this question, but how has the reception to the film been so far? It's been really great. Um, I'm actually going to be screening it next Friday at Native Crossroads Film Festival in Norman, which I'm really excited about. That'll be the first big in-person screening that I will be able to go to with the community. So Gordon from the film is going to be able to come and see it. So uh, yeah, it's been it's been really exciting and good, and I'm excited to see where else it'll go. Lauren, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. We so appreciate you joining us. Uh, Lauren's film will screen on Saturday, April 23rd as part of the closing night of the 2022 North Dakota Environmental Rights Film Festival at the historic Fargo Theater. So we encourage everybody to come check this film out. It is uh, just an important film on so many levels. And really, congratulations again on the recognition of the award. It's well-deserved. Thank you. Thanks, everybody for listening. Human Voices is brought to you by The Human Family, a North Dakota-based 501c3 promoting human rights through film and art. Today's episode was produced, recorded, and mixed by me, Sean Kaufman. Series artwork by Leah Marie Eklund and soundtracked by Peter McIsaac Music. Human Voices is a production of The Human Family. For more information about this series or The Human Family, visit human-family.org.